I always love that story about Epiphany where the kings showed their resiliency, their courage, their faithfulness and obedience. And uh, personally, I'm still on a little bit of a high from the Christmas season. But now it's time to turn our focus to a new series and to a new year. And this month, uh, we will reveal a lot about the future of our church, where we're going, how we will get there, and how each of us can participate in God's work at First Pres. We'll talk about our time and our talents and treasures that God has so generously given to us and a way that we can use these gifts to envision what it'll look like to grow together as the body of Christ. And this work isn't easy. Working for God is not a walk in the park. It takes commitment and persistence. And if we're honest with ourselves, it's a task that can make us weary. And it's in this weariness that we are called to persevere, to rely on God's powers and his spirit to push us through because when we lean in on him instead of our own strength, we can take advantage of the opportunity that God places right in front of us. Mother Teresa says it simply and succinctly, life is an opportunity, benefit from it. So the question for us this morning is how we, as the people of God, will participate in the opportunities God presents to us so that we can share his good news, love our neighbor, and grow together in community as God's spirit. This morning, we're going to be looking at uh, Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia. And let's set the scene. Galatians was written by the apostle Paul to a handful of churches in the region of Galatia who were being led astray from the truth of the gospel. They were being told to inherit the promise of Abraham to be justified, to be God's people. They must be circumcised and to keep the law of Moses. But if keeping the old covenant law is not the way to live the Christian life, then what is? Paul says that living as the people of God entails, entails faith, working through love in the power of the Holy Spirit. God's people are those who live by faith in Jesus the Messiah. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will produce the character in them that the law could not produce on its own. This morning, I'll be reading to you from the message translation. Please listen now to the Word of God. Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivenly restore him, saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens and so complete Christ's law. If you think you are too good for that, you are badly deceived. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Be very sure now you have been trained to a self-sufficient maturity that you enter into a common life with those who have trained you, sharing all the good things that you have and experience. Don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. 
The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the work in him, harvests the crop of real life, eternal life. So let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. Therefore, every time we get the chance, let us work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us in the community of faith. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, before we can really talk about our text for the day, it's important to understand the framework that Paul sets up in chapter 5. In chapter five, in 5, Paul warns the Galatians that people cannot earn their way into a relationship with God by obeying the Old Testament law. Paul refutes this idea as a form of slavery, and the Galatians are much better off accepting the freedom of salvation through Christ in the death and resurrection of him. He contrasts these consequences in both lines of thinking. When we attempt to live under our own power and in our own strength, we produce works of the flesh, damaging to us and damaging to others, immorality, impurity, idolatry, and so on. Paul insinuates that if the Galatians live by the flesh, they put themselves on a level with the pagan world around them. But what's the alternative? The alternative is to allow the power of God's spirit to direct their lives. And when the Galatians surrender their lives to God, they will naturally produce the fruit of the spirit. They will produce love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The difference between the two systems gives Paul a number of reasons for advocating for freedom in Christ rather than slavery to the law. And there's this great tension and contradiction between God's old way in the law and God's new way of love and grace. So in the first few verses of chapter 6, Paul describes what life is in God's community, what it would look like in the freedom of Christ. Paul tells us that we are to use this freedom to serve one another. He says that when we deal with someone who has sinned, deal with them gently. If another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help the person back onto the right path. You see, gentleness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. The way to deal with someone who has sinned is not punishment. It's not self-righteousness or superiority, but it's gentle with restoration and healing. When we gently come alongside our brother or sister who has sinned, we also want to keep a watchful eye so that we are not tempted because one day we may need forgiveness as well. Paul has a radical understanding of the responsibility believers in Christ have for one another. We are to share one another's burdens, even the burdens of guilt and shame when someone sins. When we share our burdens, we fulfill Christ's law, the one that loves our neighbor and shows mercy and grace. 
Loving our neighbor means recognizing that we are every bit as vulnerable to temptation as our neighbor, every bit as dependent upon the grace of God. It means that rather than comparing ourselves to our neighbors, we should engage in self-examination. Each one should test their own actions, Paul says. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each should carry their own load. Bearing one another's burdens and carrying our load seems like a bit of a contradiction, doesn't it? But Paul probably means that even though that we bear the responsibility of our neighbor, judgment belongs to God alone. All we need to do is to examine our lives, not in comparison to our neighbor, but to see whether or not we are walking according to the Spirit. And at the end of the day, we're all accountable for our own lives. Don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. Paul continues his logical explanation about planting and sowing. In the NIV, it's referenced as sowing and reaping. Our way of life will have natural consequences. If we focus on ourselves and the desires of our hearts, we will reap what our flesh sows. N.T. Wright says it this way, if we sow to the flesh, spending our resources on the pleasures of the ordinary life, then all we will have to show for it is the corruption and decay to which everything in the world is ultimately subject. Fine houses fall down, splendid clothes wear out. And he goes on to say, but if we invest in the things of the spirit, if we invest in the things that are eternal, this investment in things of God will gloriously outlast death itself. Paul continues with his theme of sowing and reaping in verse 9 when he writes, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Paul is encouraging the Galatians not to become weary or to give up. And at the heart of the passage is doing good. We who have been blessed by God, who have been generous, what he has generously given to us, we are to bless the lives of those around us. Around these two thoughts are two cautions. Do not become weary and do not give up. Why would Paul reemphasize this important call to stay the course? We don't have to think too long to know the reason why. It's because we tire easily. In a world of instant gratification, throwing in the towel quickly is easy to do if we do not see return on our efforts. The Greek word that Paul uses here for weary is to be tired, frazzled, exhausted, or utterly spiritless. Have you ever become weary in serving God? Have you ever really become weary in serving God? Many of us get excited when God calls us to get involved in helping our brother and sister, don't we? We are excited because we have the opportunity to be a part of God's work here on earth. And then after a while, the person's needs become overwhelming. And the period of excitement of helping suddenly disappears. And we begin to feel burdened. We begin to feel that we are being taken advantage of. It seems like it all, it, it seems like it all becomes about our neighbor's needs. Every conversation and action is all about them. 
But what about me? What, when will my needs be met? Or maybe you've been involved in a wonderful ministry to help feed the poor or to run an alpha course, to lead a Bible study. And suddenly everyone who was helping you has things to do. Other priorities have come up and you are left alone doing the ministry by yourself. Has this ever happened to you? Have you ever felt this way? I tell you, friends, this has happened to me. All kinds of scenarios drain us and lead us to become weary in doing God's work. Paul talks about this in 2 Thessalonians. He writes, we hear that some of you are living in laziness, refusing to work and wasting your time in gossiping. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we appeal to such people. We command them to quiet down, get to work and earn their own living. And to the rest of you, I say, dear brothers, never be tired of doing right. You see, there were believers in Thessalonica who were working diligently. They shared their food. They helped the local church. They provided for others by working long hours in the fields. And as they worked, they noticed some who didn't even lift a finger. Sometimes they wonder why they were beating their heads against the wall and trying so hard to do what was right. They were trying so hard to do good, but they became frustrated. And in the midst of their frustration, they received Paul's letter. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. There's probably not a person in this room here this morning who has not become weary at some point in the past. Maybe you're weary. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're fatigued. But Paul tells us to never give up Don't become weary of doing what is right. Never, ever give up. Some of you may have heard the story about a wealthy young man named William Borden. And William Borden was a member of the Borden Dairy family. And when he finished high school, he was given a cruise around the world as a graduation present by his family. And as he was traveling throughout the Far East, he felt burdened. He felt a burden for those who did not know God or the love of Christ. And even when he came home, he was still burdened, but he went on to college anyway. When William graduated from college, his family pleaded with him to come home and to take control of the family business. And much to his parents' dismay, William told his family that God was calling him to the mission field. He boarded a ship to China, And on his way there, he stopped in Egypt so that he could learn Arabic in an effort to better reach the Muslim people. And while in Egypt, he contracted spinal meningitis. And within a month, he was dead. After Borden was buried, his parents were given his Bible. In the back of his Bible, they found the following. Just after renouncing his family's fortune to go on to the mission field, Borden wrote these words, no reserve. Then when his father told him that he would never let him work at the company again, Borden wrote in his Bible, no retreat. And shortly before his trip to China, the trip that would eventually end his life, Borden wrote, no regret. Many would say, what a waste. A bright young man with loads of money and promise dies in the prime of his life because he wants to chase the fantasy of becoming a missionary. 
What a waste. William Borden's life was no waste. Many would follow in his steps after he was gone. The gospel would be proclaimed in China. Thousands of young men and women read the Borden story in the newspapers in America, and it inspired them so much that they left everything behind and gave their lives to reach nations so that others would know the gospel of Christ. You see, God does not ask us to change the world. God only asks us to be faithful to the assignments that he gives us. We must never tire or give up in doing good. Never allow circumstances, people, or hardships stand in the way of allowing the blessings that we have received from God to flow out of our lives and directly into the lives of others. And in verse 10, Paul writes, Therefore we have an opportunity. Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Paul continues to tell the Galatians to do good. But he does so with additional wisdom. Every opportunity to do so is God's work, uh, to do God's work is an appointment arranged by God. The Greek word for opportunity means a measure of time, a fixed and definite time or the right time. Scripture clearly shows that our time on this earth is in God's hands. The time of our birth, the time of our death, and every time in between, they are all God's time. Paul wrote to the Ephesians and said it this way, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. We are not to live casually. We're not to live life as it comes. We're not to live randomly, but we are to live with a purpose. We're to live with our eyes wide open, fully alert to the opportunities that God will provide for each of us every day of our lives. Listen to this quote. Every morning is an open door. Every moment can become one. Some of us see and seize the door, so life becomes a divine adventure. Some of us shrink back or fail to see. A room with no door is a prison. To fail to embrace the open door is to miss the work that God has made for us to do. If we want to experience more of the Spirit of God in our lives, we need to train ourselves to look and respond to the moments of divine opportunity. I'd like to take a moment and brag a little bit about our staff. And over the last three or four years, we have taken an approach, maybe a mindset, to look at things that come across our areas of responsibility in this church, not as problems, but as opportunities. We wrestle with a lot of different things, whether it be in ministry or administratively, and critically examine how the church functions or how it should function. We spend time thinking and tinkering and wondering aloud, asking ourselves the question, what if? What if we change this or that? What if we start something new? Will it allow us to be the church God has called us to be? Will it give someone an opportunity to see Jesus in a new and different way? Our culture has become such that we do not ask the question why, but we ask ourselves the question why not? 
Why not do the work necessary if it impacts God's kingdom? Why not set up and take down tables if it means a better environment and someone feels more comfortable at church? Why not go the extra mile to find that one sheep in an effort to show the kingdom of God is accessible to all? The work is wearisome, but the work that God calls us to do for this church is worth it. Well, so what? So what about all of this that Paul says in Galatians? Well, we just need to realize that when doors open, it is not by chance or coincidence. It is God who opens the doors for us. It is God who gives us opportunities to do good, to serve those around us, to be a blessing. If we realize this, then we will see his hand opening doors around us all the time. What about you this morning? Where have you seen an opportunity to engage in God's kingdom? Have you felt like you've missed an opportunity to do good? Have you ever felt that you are not worthy to do God's work because of past sins, fear, or insecurity? If life has derailed you, don't worry. If you've gotten busy with work or school or family or friends and God has not been a priority, that's okay too. God's grace is only a whisper away. All he wants is for us to turn to him, to confess for we have fallen short and to embrace Jesus as king. He wants us all to participate in doing good for his kingdom. Over the next three weeks, you will have an opportunity to hear about an important strategy for our church. Our, our session has prayerfully considered how they believe God is calling this church to grow in community and to be who God has called us to be. We will look at ways where we can invest our time and talents and treasures. And if you're like me, I like familiarity. I like being in my comfort zone. And if you are feeling cautious or not sure, I'd like to invite you not to ask why, but to ask, your, ask yourself the question, why not? Why not give it a shot? Why not attend a Bible study? Why not help take food to people who can't make it to church? Why not give this church the gifts that you have in finance or human resources or facilities? Why not fully participate in the mission of the church? Why not? Give God the best tenth of your time, talents, and treasures, the time, talents, and treasures that he has so generously given us in his grace. When God opens a door, it is often an exit from our comfort zone. We have no way of knowing where it will lead or what lies beyond. But we do know that we can trust the one who has opened the door. So we can step through it with a sense of expectation, knowing that something incredible lies ahead. Friends, I believe that God is calling this church to be a church of influence. Let us be the people that God has called us to be, to love our neighbors, to live in the spirit, to work tirelessly and not grow weary, to take advantage of every opportunity that God places in front of us. Let us live our lives with no reserves, no retreat, and no regrets. Amen? Amen. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for these words that bring us truth. We thank you for the talents and gifts that you have given to each and every one of us.
Help us not to fear, but to trust in your plans for our lives. We thank you for every, everything we have in our lives and for your amazing grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.